Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise God. I come with a very deep conviction to share with you about something very important, very, very important the interpretation of our lives as we live and serve God. There are many things that we point to when we are not successful in life, when we're not progressive in life, when we are not increasing and multiplying, when we're not getting guided onto. There are many things that we point fingers to. Sometimes we point fingers to our families and we say, you know, I'm not successful because I come from a poor family. Sometimes we point fingers on our jobs. Sometimes we point fingers on our friends. Sometimes we point fingers on the nation that we were born. Oh, you know, I come from a third world country. And the reason why things are not working for me is because things are not easy for the people that live in third world country. And there are very, very wealthy people in third world countries as they are beggars you know, and paupers in first world countries. And um, many a time, oh, witchcraft, my family witchcraft, they bewitched me uh, so that I cannot get married or so that I cannot get a job or so that I would fall sick. And we all have all these things that we give as reasons for failing in life. But hardly do we consider how much destruction how much failure, how much struggle and strife, how much frustration we find in our walk or journey in the life of Christianity because of the misinterpretation of the word of God. Some of the challenges, and I might not be speaking to everyone listening to me, but I'm speaking to the biggest part of Christians out there some of the main challenges of the Christian faith is that we have failed to interpret the scriptures as they are supposed to be interpreted. And some people think, ah, there's a light thing. I just misinterpreted it. There's no big deal. You know, I've corrected it and that's it. But some of us are starting to understand, and I personally over the years have learned that there are grave consequences in misinterpreting the word of God. There are grave consequences in misinterpreting the word of God. And unfortunately, we're not talking about that. Yeah, people are talking about generational curses. People are talking about witchcraft from their stepmother. People are talking about witchcraft from their cousins or they have this unfriendly boss or they're talking about, you know, their family and the challenges that they have. But when you are born again, you are a new creation. The Bible says, behold, the old is past, and now all things are become new, and all things are of God. So, yes, you might have your challenges as you might point to them. 
But I have seen that one of the biggest challenges that we have as Christians and why we don't have the results of our salvation is because many people misinterpret the scriptures. And when we misinterpret the scriptures, we bring destruction to ourselves. We bring destruction to our families. We bring destruction to our businesses. We bring destructions to our career. We bring destructions to our dreams. And then we point hands or fingers at everybody else except us. So tonight I want to take us through a journey to show you the consequence of misinterpreting scripture and what you can do to fix this. Because through this sermon, many of you are going to be helped in Jesus' mighty name. Shout amen. When the apostle Paul is consecrated to service in Damascus, God isolates him into a wilderness experience and then he goes to Arabia and then he comes back to Damascus. The Bible says, it was three years before I went up to Jerusalem. The message version says, Galatians 1.18, I went up to Jerusalem to compare stories with Peter. I was there for 15 days, but what days they were? Why were they hard? Because Peter, James, and all the people that dwelt in Jerusalem, some had actually believed on the Lordship of Jesus as the were disciples before, but they were not yet reconciled to the message of grace. So, it is evident in Scripture that he compares notes with Peter, and then later he also speaks with James. So those are the only two people that he speaks with concerning the message. And later on, when war comes through within the church, because unskilled and inexperienced workers went about preaching salvation alongside the circumcision of Moses, Paul and Barnabas are called and they're summoned because they sounded contradictory to those which came from Jerusalem. But the guys in Jerusalem believed in salvation, but works too, works as the circumcision. So you say, yeah, you're born again, but you also have to get circumcised according to the law of Moses, as the circumcision began by Moses. Yet if you are a reader of the word circumcision began by Abraham, but how it gets to Moses, how it gets to Moses is tradition. So they gather them later in Acts 15, 16, and 17. If you read that story, if you want to go back, you're going to enjoy it. And we see these guys are arguing before a council, and Paul and Barnabas are also standing before them saying, no, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need works to be justified. You need faith for your justification. And as they compare and argue and debate within each other, we see Peter standing up and James to fight for Paul because they had understood Paul and Barnabas. And then they hold these guys back to stay back and learn the doctrine. And then they commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go and correct the errors that the brethren before had done. So Peter later, as he's speaking in his own epistles in the second Peter chapter three, if you begin from the 15th verse, it speaks of the account that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. He's teaching about the long suffering of our Lord and how that is for our salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written to you. Now he's testifying about Paul. And he says, also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they which are unlearned and unstable rest or twist as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. 
Somebody twists the word and the word destroys them. Why aren't we talking about that kind of destruction? We're talking about what, you know, alcohol is doing and what drugs are doing. We're talking about what perversion is doing. We're talking about all of these kinds of things. We're not having the conversation of what misinterpretation of scripture can do in the destruction of the soul of a man. If you read the Amplified Version and the verse 16 again, he speaks of, as he does in all his letters, that there are some things in those epistles of Paul that are difficult to understand, which, he says, the ignorant and unstable twist and misconstrue to their own utter destruction, just as they distort and misinterpret the rest of the scriptures. And who are those? He says, people which are unstable and ignorant. It's easy to identify an unstable person, but it is hard to identify ignorance. Because the Bible says, even a fool in his silence, they look wise. So how do you tell who is ignorant and who is not ignorant? But here the scriptures are telling us that people are getting destroyed because of misconstruing twisting, misinterpreting the scriptures to make them say what they're not saying. Some of them, they're right many. They're not just consumed by narcissistic attitude or they're not just bad people. Some of them were taught, they were given the wrong doctrine and that doctrine is passed on to another generation and then it's generations of doctrines that are not working. And I always tell people, if you are preaching the truth, why don't you have the results of the truth you preach? Because I've seen many po pointing fingers on who the false teacher is, who the false pastor is, who the false prophet is, who the false apostle is, who the false this is. They're always pointing fingers on who is wrong. But I always tell them, you who is right, how come you don't have the results of being right? How come you don't give the answers of a man or woman who understands the message? Somebody shout hallelujah. Did he not say that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free? He said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There is no way where a man can give truth and not see freedom in the lives of his people. Somebody shout hallelujah. But when we cannot understand the scriptures, we even judge matters which are beyond us or that we're not even able to judge because we don't have the true north. Our spirits, our minds are not aligned to see things the way they are supposed to be seen. That's what they call the true north. It's a figure of speech. They're not seeing things like they're supposed to be seen. Like you could sit in a geographical area X and then have eight or seven people and then ask each one of them, where is the north? And everyone points in different places. So that is their opinion about where the north is. But of all these eight there is a true north somewhere. And they could all point differently, but that didn't change the fact that the true north is one direction. Or that one could be true, or two of them could be true of the eight people in the room. So, your opinion about scripture does not necessarily mean that it is true. You could have your opinion and mindset about the word and say, and even insist in your ignorance, and some because they're unstable, not to know when God is speaking to them or how to respond through the patterns of instruction. And so you rest and fight and contend. No, this is it. What do you think? What do you see? Me, I see this. And then you fight over it. Because sometimes in our state of being unstable, we tend to want to win more than receive the truth. That's why wisdom is received in meekness. <laughs> huh? The Bible says in meekness, instructing. You cannot instruct in meekness one which is not meek to receive. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
It's a two-way transaction. You're meek, humble enough to give because you carry wisdom, but you're also humble enough to receive it. You must be teachable. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so we have experiences of people that have misinterpreted scriptures. Psalms 94 verses 20. The man asks, as he's you know, meditating and communing with his God, he says, shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? If you will read the Amplified Version, he says, shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? He calls it the throne of iniquity. Now I'm going to introduce us to that. He called it the throne of iniquity. The seat of iniquity, the source of lies, deception, of, of sin of all manner, the source of iniquity. He says, shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? They, he says, who frame and hide their unrighteous doing under the sacred name of the law. Very powerful. They frame, they build, they hide, they construct unrighteous doings, the Bible says, under the sacred name of the law. The KJV says that they frame mischief by a law. They frame mischief by a law. And he calls that the throne of iniquity. The throne of iniquity. That is the base of all iniquity. That's the place iniquity rests because thrones are seated onto. Isn't it? So if Satan is to work to the deception and destruction of the lives of people, the throne of iniquity is in the twisting of scripture and the hiding and framing of unrighteous works under a sacred law. Let me give you an example. Somebody does something wrong that is so wrong and they justify it by scripture. You see, they justify it by scripture. But the Bible says, the Bible says, what are they using? The word. But they're making the word of God say something it's not saying. And if you still are awakened in your conscience, you can sense that this is not true. Even though this person has said it, you can sense that this is not from God. Somebody shout hallelujah. But we have had experiences of people who have done whatever they have done. One time, I'd gone to visit my father at home. It was a Sunday, and so we went to see him and family. And as, you know, he's flipping through, you know, the television channels. This interesting man gets on the set. And he said that I'm a prophet of God. This is the man speaking. And according to my ordination as a prophet, this is him speaking, you are not allowed to come for a prophetic word for healing or deliverance without money. He said, openly, openly. And to justify it, he goes in the portion of scripture of Elijah going to the widow of Zarephath. You remember that story? The prophet is going to the widow of Zarephath. And <laughs> remember when he tells the widow, Give me that last meal and you will not run out of oil and food in your household. And then she cooks that food for the prophet and her household was provided for. So this man quotes 1 Kings 17 and then out of that portion of scripture of the widow of Zarephath, which was a one 
time experience. And if you're a reader of the word, the provisions of chariots had come to an end and God is transferring his prophet to another place of provision, which is Zarephath, which was also only for a season for the prophet of God to go ahead. A man got a one-time portion of scripture that happened once in the life of a prophet and built a doctrine around it to say that whenever you come in contact with me, if you need my gift, my anointing, my glory, you have to pay me. This is what he said. So if a woman brings a sick child and that child is dying of disease and she does not have enough money for the healing of that child, the prophet would rather lock himself up and do other business until she gets enough money to get her child healed. But where did he get the bearing? He got the bearing through the misconstruing of scripture to make it say what provides for him at that moment. So he said, this is his statement. He said, no man, this is him saying, no man ever came to a prophet empty-handed. God never sent any man to a prophet empty-handed. God never sent any man to a prophet empty-handed. So he said, there's nowhere in scripture. And he boldly says that. Of course, as a man of God, I pity him. I don't get angry at him. I just pity him because I see that he has not read the word enough to understand. What about prophets who refuse gifts in scripture? The man heals Naaman of his leprosy and he tells him, take back your seed. So what about that one? What happened to freely given? So do we freely give? What happened to that? If today somebody says, you know, I had somebody quoting a scripture, oh, you cannot muzzle the ox that treads out the hay, so by force you're supposed to pay me. If you don't, I'm not doing it. I'm like, whose servant are you? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Or you're an employee of men? Because that's the language of employees. Wage workers, not sons of God. Where is your source? From God. He shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. His, 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 his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying that we should not pay. I'm not saying that you don't give honor to whom honor is due and praise to whom all praise is due and custom to whom custom is due. Yes, when the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, custom to whom custom is due, praise to whom praise is due, it did not say demand honor. It did not say demand custom. It did not say demand pay. It did not say demand tribute. He told the man to give. So if the man does not give, by scripture, you're not mandated to ask for tribute. Because the Bible has not told us to ask for honor. It has not told us to ask for custom. It has not told us to ask for dues. Somebody shout hallelujah. And somewhere in the prophets he says, now the priests preach for a wage and the prophets prophesy for a pay. So without the right interpretation of scripture, it's not to the destruction of the people that you are. No, it's to your destruction. Somebody said, hallelujah. It's to your destruction. So we see that it is very easy for somebody to misconstrue, to make the scripture say what? God tells you, do not unequally yoke with an unbeliever. This is scripture. I don't know whether now we're living in a time where our opinions 
and interpretations are more important than the word of God. When he tells you do not unequally be yoked together with unbelievers, one time a lady came and said, I'm going to marry this guy. He's not a Christian, but I'm going to marry him. She said, but the Bible says don't unequally yoke with unbelievers. And she said, but he also said he shall give me my heart's desire. Why am I desiring him? <laughs> Hello? So if God will give me my heart's desire, why doesn't he give me the desire of a born-again man? Why is he giving me the desire of an unbeliever? So I tell her, do you think that every desire that comes to you is of God? Or do you want to assume that now you're going to misconstrue the scripture to provide for your desire as of God because it fits your narrative? <laughs> anyway, she went on unmarried. The Lord fulfilled her desire <laughs> in courts. You see, that's unstable. That's ignorant. That's ignorant. That's ignorant and unstable. Now, if anything happens through that relationship, and things surely happen, perhaps she has killed her assignment. It's only before God that she wakes up one day and was standing before God, and then she comes to the realization, or some actually come to the realization when they're about to die. Or a couple of years later, when a lot cannot be reversed. Why? Because we turn the word of God and make it say what it's not saying. It happens to us in many ways. If it's an ignorance and instability, may God then educate us. May he teach us. May he mature us that we might be able to discern and read things and interpret things the way they're supposed to be interpreted. Because again, I do not want to go to the side of telling us the consequence of our actions, the consequences of our misconstruing of Scripture. So, he has spoken of how people frame and hide their unrighteous doings under the sacred name of the Lord. Oh, we ministers of the gospel are doing things and we're justifying them in the word. We ministers, and we must repent, we ministers have misled the household of God in the name of the Lord, in the name of the word of God. We have robbed people in the name of Scripture. We've broken families in the name of Scripture and the Word. We have destroyed destinies in the name of the Word. So may God help us. Don't point, you point at yourself and search yourself. As I'm not giving a sermon of you now pointing, I think this guy, no, no, you put a light on yourself because you can misconstrue scripture and millions of people are listening to you and you destroy a whole generation because of your selfishness, our selfishness as ministers of the gospel. But to fear God, to fear God and say that in spite of the fact that this can provide for me, but I'm not going to go this way just to have what I need. I would rather wait on God even if it costs everything. But I will not twist his word to have my way. Because you see, when we minister to people, they become vulnerable enough to give us anything. So we can use our liberty as a cloak of vice. I want to read for you a very important example in scripture. Very, very important example of misinterpretation. 
You've heard of people loosely saying, when they're going to pray together, they gather themselves and they join their hands. Father, you said, this is them praying, where there are two or three gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. He has spoken truth. So these are the two and three that are gathered in the name of God. It's an example. And then you're talking to a young man, and a young woman, and they tell you, you know, I don't need to come in fellowship. I don't need to attend service. Because where there are two or three, God is there. So why do I come to your church? Why do I attend Sunday service? Yet the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24, if you read the Amplified Version, Hebrews 10, 24, he says, let us consider and give attentive, continuous care, watching over one another, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. Verses 25, not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some, but admonishing, urging, and encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. God has told us we should not neglect the power of assembling together. Yes, sometimes COVID issues, we're not able to meet physically, but we're connected, some of us, on television, we're connected, on YouTube, we're connected, on Facebook, we're connected. God tells you that one of the healthiest way to grow in the faith is to congregate with other believers, to assemble with other believers in fellowship. Are you hearing me? So fellowship is important. And somebody says, you know, but the Bible says, where are the two or three? Good is there. Even if I don't attend fellowship, what if all the three of you are ignorant and unstable? What if the two of you, both of you are ignorant and unstable? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So somebody uses that to say, uh -uh, I don't need, some have actually refused fellowship. I mean, I don't believe in fellowships. I don't believe in going to church. God is with me. You know, one time I was hearing somebody say, oh, churches are systems of the devil, systems of the world. These are systems man-made. Originally it was not so. I wanted to ask him, but I didn't. But I wanted to ask him, how many souls have you won? Do you know what the church institution has done for governments, for the world? Oh, you are identifying the challenge of your home church where your pastor did not live up to the standard and then you disqualify the whole institution. Where do your children go when they're young? They go to church. Where are they committed? Huh? Dedicated? There. Where did you get married? There. The crisis of life find you there. Somebody refuses to go to church and they die and their coffin is dragged into the cathedral. Because you cannot run away. <laughs> So they'll either fellowship with you when you're alive or with your body. But either way, <laughs> that's the order, you see? But the most dangerous group is the ministers who use that portion of scripture to justify the reason of why their ministries are not growing. Huh? Have you heard about pastors? You see, one guy said, having a big congregation, it's nothing. Ah, ah. I was so disappointed in him. Because in my heart, I could hear two people speaking in him. I could hear the man in him, the spiritual man saying, no, actually, the truth is I'm just envious. And I could hear this outward man saying, I'm justifying this because I'm insecure. Are you hearing me? How can you say that numbers are nothing? Why do you open the church every Sunday? 
Why don't you just close your two and three? Jesus is with them. Why don't you just build a church of three? Why do you see 5,000 men following Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't Jesus build a doctrine around it and say, uh-uh, don't follow me. Numbers are not important. Numbers are important everywhere. Numbers determine destinies. Numbers determine political systems. Numbers determine wealth. Numbers determine everything in different spheres of life. They are important. He told us to occupy until he comes. He told us to go to the whole world, not to our two, not to our three. He says, go ye in the world and preach the gospel, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. For lo, I'm with thee until the end. Hey, so you're with those who preach to nations. I read a document the other day of a guy saying, I'm against mega churches. I'm against mega churches. God is not in mega churches. What are you talking about? Think that means God wasn't with Jesus. No, with Jesus, men went with him even without food. So you tell us where God was. So he's with you more than he was with Christ? No, you're misconstruing the scriptures and twisting it to cover your unrighteousness. You see, if you are a pastor, you seek to grow. If you are a minister of the gospel, who doesn't want to grow? Everybody wants to grow. We just need to know how to grow, but don't change it. Now, some say, no, as long as there are two people or three, and somebody uses that, no, let's go back to the portion of scripture and actually understand in context why they spoke of two or three. But to understand it, again, you need to go in the context. Matthew 18, verses 15. He says, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him their fault. Somebody shout hallelujah. Between you and him, this is if your brother wrongs you, your sister wrongs you. Don't go publishing them on Facebook and YouTube. If they have wronged you, you go to them, okay, and tell them their fault with him alone. If he shall hear thee, then you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take thee one or two more. You carry witnesses, a witness or witnesses, to come and sit in that same meeting and hear the case. Perhaps you're the wrong one, but you're not able to take it. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is what? is established. And if you shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. So when you tell the church, when you've first spoken to them, they failed. You've called two or three witnesses, they failed. Now you can tell the church and say, I sat sister or brother so-and-so. Or you can tell the church on Facebook, the church on YouTube. <laughs> you know, some people think Facebook and YouTube are churches. No, it's just platforms that churches plug into but they're not the church. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? The church of Jesus Christ exists beyond YouTube and Facebook. Are you agreeable? Yeah, because not everybody watching you agrees with you. Isn't it? Not everybody listening to you agrees with you. So anyway, and then he says in uh, verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear you, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be as unto a heathen, a man and a publican. Treat him as a heathen. So again, there's also a misinterpretation there. We we'll treat him as a heathen, treat him as an unbeliever. Aha, then there's a misconstruing of scripture there. Some people think that that portion of scripture means that treat them with hatred, treat them with disdain. What did God tell us to do with non-believers? Preach to them the gospel. So if the Bible says deal with him as a heathen, deal with him as a publican, 
when Jesus went to publicans, he was preaching. Hallelujah. So you deal with them as though they are not born again. That means you preach to them the gospel and love them into salvation. He's not saying attack them. I don't know why these guys get that whole notion of attacking each other. But let's continue. Verses 18, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall lose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you. Now here he's telling the church, hey, whatsoever you bind on the earth, remember he tells it to Peter as well, on this rock I'll build a church, right? He tells him how whatever you bind shall be bound. So he's repeating that responsibility of the church, that is the responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ, to bind and loose, agreeable, right? Verses 19, and again I say unto you, that if Two of you shall agree on the earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. He's talking about the people who are gathering to make peace of a war that has erupted between two individuals. And somebody gets that doctrine and justifies why their ministry is not growing and justify why they should not attend fellowship because for them they are saying but the Bible says that where two or three are gathered in his name he's in their midst you see this issue was addressing people who had concerns between each other so he's saying where two or three are gathered in the spirit of reconciling people who are broken or misunderstood where two or three witnesses come there I'm there why? because they are following the order they are following the order that if this person has wronged you, talk to them. If they fail, bring two or three with you because they are following principle. I'm in the midst of them because I'm a God of principle. That is what he means. He does not say, now stretch this portion of scripture to be inefficient in the church. Somebody shout hallelujah. And many such things we do, many such things we do, the right interpretation of scripture the right interpretation of the Bible. You need to understand. Why was the Bible canonized? Why did a group of people over the years get together and say, look, let us get a set of books that we think are going to be guiding principles for the church? Because at that time, there was a lot of madness in the name of Christianity. Back in the earlier years of the church, after the death and ascension of Jesus Christ, the onset of the generation of Paul, slightly after that, we hear stories. One that captures me is of a fellow they used to call Montanus. Right? Now, this fellow was a you know, worshiper of idols, and then somehow he comes into salvation. About AD 1. So, when he comes in salvation, somewhere in Asia Minor, Anatolia, in a province called Phrygia, this guy starts to have visions. And when he starts to have visions, he says that he's a prophet. I'm just giving us an example. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just showing you why later people choose to canonize the Bible. I'm taking us back a little bit in church history. So he says, I'm a prophet. He starts to see in the spirit. And then he was joined later by other two ladies. One was Prisca, or known as Priscilla, and another lady was Maximella, who also started to have similar experiences. But every time they were functioning in the prophetic, they spoke as first person. You see, they would not say, that saith the Lord, no. They're the kind who would pray, 
And of course, they were well known. And what used to disturb the readers and men of the spirit of that time was that the activity of the prophetic on them, it was uh, full of frenzy and ecstasy, ecstatic and had frenzy tendencies. And then they would rave and bubble and shake. And when they shake, God is on them and he's speaking through them. So there is a claim that they don't have control over themselves. The spirit just came on them. Yeah. So these guys get the spirit on them. So somebody starts praying, oh, la, la, la. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. The Montanists, that is the people who follow. Eh? Because when people started to, you know, surround themselves around these people because there were accurate proclamations also within them. Yeah, sometimes they'll prophesy things and they come to pass. So when they prophesy things that are accurate, it's hard to say this is not God because there is no other way you can say. So they're saying they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the people who follow, Montanists, uh, Montanists they're speaking in tongues as well. They're speaking in tongues. So... They used to have sporadic reactions. You're in service, praying. And then somebody starts to shake in the back. Chairs start falling. I am God. And then everyone, even the pastor closes their eyes. What is God saying? And then God starts speaking on them. <laughs> like these demons speak on people. <laughs> yeah. And so they built a group. Now there's a young fanatic kid who wants to be like him? Are you hearing me? And then he says, but I think I can do this. <laughs> so it gets to a point where somebody has an issue with a brother in the church. Are you hearing me? Then when God gets on him, he addresses his issues. You have nothing to do. This is God what? <laughs> Speaking. And they brought so much damage and shame to the church that some of the bishops of that time had to get together and say, no, we need to bring sanity to this. But I have seen it. One time I went to a local church to preach. <laughs> and I was to come on. And then the people worshiping and praising and worshiping and praising and worshiping and praising. And then this young man gets on. And boo, 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 he's shaking. Ah! And you know, God is in him right now speaking. And the guy says, why do you make me cry? Now God has appeared in the meeting. Why do you make me cry? And then some of the people in the church, they start weeping because eh, when he speaks like that, there's somebody who I think can connect to it because they sinned last evening. Aha. So they're like, I think God is God has come to me <laughs> for me. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Then he started accusing things and accusing things and accusing things. And I'm saying, let me be patient. Let me let this guy do his drum and then go. But you know, the guy continues. And in there, the Holy Spirit tells me he's destroying himself and the lives that are around him. Because the church had identified him as a prophet. And he was the kind, because the familiar spirits can fall on such guys and they can be accurate. You see? And then, so as he was speaking, 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 I walked to him. Araba, Joe, you're making me cry. So as God is speaking, yeah? he says God is speaking through him. I tell him, say, brother, he says, huh? <laughs> I thought God was going to slap me and say, <laughs> stop interrupting my conversation, I'm talking. No, I told him, brother, he said, huh? I told him, that's not God. He said, oh, okay. 
The prophetic ended. The prophetic ended. It's not the first time I'd seen it. One time I was in another church and they start drumming. They're praising. They were using drums. And then something gets on this woman. Woo, woo, woo. She starts rolling and rolling and knocking everyone else. And then she forms herself, bah, face down. And then she starts speaking. She starts speaking. Another day, a woman said, give me a pen. Give me a pen. I want to write to my children. That God wants a pen to write to his children. So they run and get a pen and paper. I was in some meeting somewhere. They give her a pen and paper. And she starts writing things. And she's speaking. She writes. And then she says, read. Read. She gives somebody to read. And somebody looks at it. They can't read it. (laughs) You understand? You're so blind not to read, man. War erupted in the church because God had written something. People were not... Then some even started repenting because they can't read what God has written. (laughs) Somebody shout, fire! (laughs) I have seen things. I have seen things. But why? They're ignorant. Now, do you know those people can bring shame to the prophetic movement? Prophetic movement. But this is something that shocked me also when I read the memoirs, the stories of the Montanists. One of the things that disturbed the church in that time was the tendency of getting the attraction to themselves and not God. So at the end of the day, when he goes out, he's the man of God. He is the, yeah? he is God. In fact, Montanus, that fellow, he used to tell people he's the Holy Spirit His God come in the flesh. It became crazier and crazier. And it always ends there. They become God. They become God. They take away their attention. They can draw men to them, but they cannot draw men to salvation. They can't make an altar call. They can't because at the end of the day, it's here. You see what I'm saying? So you can say, ah, the whole prophetic movement is wrong. No, some are prophets, but they're just unstable and ignorant. Some are not, they just have familiar spirits on them, but majority are, they're just working under a wrong light. Satan is using or taking advantage of great gifts to destroy. The Holy Spirit sets you above yourself, not besides yourself. Did you hear that? He can set you above yourself, but not besides yourself. You can't say, I did things and I also didn't know why I was doing them, but I did them. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is relational. He wants you to be in the doing. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, we misquote scripture. We misinterpret experiences. We misinterpret the interpretations of the things concerning God and that life. And then we don't have the results. Because for all of these examples I saw with my very own eyes, 10 years, they're the same people. 20 years, they're the same people. They speak as God, but they don't have results. They don't have answers. So it's that kind of madness. And then the doctrines that are interpreted wrongly in the first years of salvation as the church is in its infancy, that people say, no, you know what? Let us canonize scripture. What is canonization? Let us get a group of things that are agreeable with the rest of the text as the story of God is given and his prophets 
and the law and everything else. And then let us put them in one compendium and then preserve them as sacred text for those who shall grow to read and at least have some balances and boundaries in interpretation. So that at least you can say, but what does the Bible say? But they gave it as they could too. We cannot say that they're the final say. But neither can we say that in the things they've given us, which they themselves have not written, no, they're just collecting together. They just get them together to put them together because all these things are agreeable. No scripture is of private interpretation. No. God gave men the spirit and they wrote them, Moses, the Pauls, the Peters. They all wrote these things and wise people got them together for us because these things were agreeable that there will be no contradiction. If there are contradictions as you read the word, it's only because either you have not understood the right interpretation of it or you're made up to misinterpret it anyway because you have your own biases with it. But these things are agreeable. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Satan knows that if they can have this as they should, hell, that is hell, they're speaking, are in danger. They're in danger. Hell is in danger. The demonic world is in danger. So the seat, the throne of all iniquity is framed and hidden behind scripture. That means the biggest deception is by men who are preaching through the same book. As sad as I can say it, the biggest deceptions are coming from men who are hiding under the sacred scripture to do their own. Because it goes back to selfishness and lust. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. The Bible says those proceed not from the Father. They are not of the Father, but they are of this world. So somebody needs to build their own kingdom and they use the scripture. So when we started preaching the word years ago, I used to ask myself, but why are people opposed to what is true? And the spirit told me, no, some of them have built their own kingdoms and you're breaking them by establishing the kingdom of God. Yeah, somebody built their own kingdom, their own institution. It educated their child. It took them to school. It gave them a name. And how do they wake up and realize that whatever gave them all of that was actually not true? It's hard. You see, it's safe for you as a believer, and I tell people to stay humble and teachable. I am very correctable if a man can correct me through scripture. And I've always sought a moment where a person can sit down with me on a table and say, but I don't agree with you according to scripture. And I tell him, let's divide it. You understand? Don't say, he's a cow. No, 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 no. Let's sit on scripture. A cup of tea. No cameras. We're not seeking to expose ourselves, but we're seeking to find truth. Let us open the Bible and be able to communicate. But if somebody cannot have you over a debate, and then you hear them, how do you get there? Because they're already out of principle. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that is why we don't dignify such with response. Keep to the course and preach the word. But people are understanding every day. Somebody shout hallelujah. I cannot tell you the 
results that I see in the lives of individuals who came to this ministry with nothing. I'm not just talking about physical things. I'm talking about spiritual. Somebody talks and you're like, your jaw drops. Because God is dealing with them somewhere. God is doing something in their lives. This is my heart's prayer for you and why it's important for you to pray it. That by his infinite grace and mercy, may God help you to understand, interpret the word as you're supposed to interpret it. That you will never be destroyed by one which misinterprets or that you never destroy by your misinterpretations. If you have understood that prayer, iniquity has left your house. I said iniquity has left your house. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. And as I finish, if you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just need to confess these words with me. Just say these words. Just say them. Because there's no name given in the earth or under earth or anywhere where we men are saved, save the name of Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. So just receive these words right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior and born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.